Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, solar warrior and clean energy titan. <laughs> I'll just keep trying these names on until you tell me what resonates with you. Well, welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your clean energy business or career. I try to keep these under 25 minutes so that you can enjoy it on your way to work, which most of us aren't commuting to work right now, or while you're washing dishes like I do, or maybe a short jog, hopefully you're getting some exercise in these days. Wherever you can squeeze it in, I hope this is a shorter, more tactical, bite-sized version of Suncast. Hopefully you tuned in to last Thursday's long-form interview with Carla Loeb. If not, I do highly recommend you go ahead and cue that one up next. Carla is a policy maven, staunch renewable energy supporter, and all-around inspiring and butt-kicking industry executive. It's my pleasure to reintroduce you to her if somehow you haven't met this amazing dynamo. And if you've been wondering which solar markets are set to explode in the coming post-corona era beyond California, Illinois, New York, and some of the other usual suspects, well then, you'll want to tune in today. Carla's leadership has helped create a solar market in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it's expected to exceed 1.2 gigawatts a year for the next decade just in the Dominion Territory alone. Today, we dive into the Virginia Clean Economy Act, what it is, and why you should care. You can find more Tactical Tuesdays like this one over at mysuncast.com. And in case you missed it, we're about a month in from having completed our Suncast Clean Energy Virtual Summit. So I'd encourage you to go check out the replays of all the live sessions for free for a limited time at suncastsummit.com. If you're part of our Suncast Guild, then have no fear. It's a part of your membership. For now, Get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Oh, and by the way, happy Earth Strong, Carla Loeb. All right, Solar Warriors, if you are looking forward to learning about policy and how policy moves markets, then you are in the right place. Today, I have my friend Carla Loeb back to talk about the Virginia Clean Economy Act, which we decided itself was better as a tactical Tuesday. So if you tuned in last Thursday and heard the foreshadowing, and that's why you're here today, because you've already heard Carla's long-form interview, thanks for showing up again. And if this is the first time that you've heard of Carla Loeb, I would encourage you to go check out the last interview from last Thursday, where we go more in-depth about Carla, who she is, what she has been up to. And that as well is a super enjoyable conversation to, to learn more about what it's like to be a, a policy maven, a connector, a SIA board member, and an all-around uh, badass in uh, all things solar, especially regarding uh, Virginia, Washington, D.C. Uh, Carla is an insider of insiders. So, Carla, good to have you back on Suncast. 
Thanks, Nico, for having me. I really appreciate the time to come on. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to carve out a special segment here where we could talk about the power of policy, in particular, the policy that you and several others in the state of Virginia have able to get across the finish line this year that in many ways is uh, groundbreaking. And it's called the Virginia Clean Economy Act. Carla, will you give us an overview of the of the ambitions of the VCEA? You know, what it took to pull this together and get it across the finish line is a bit of what we'll unpack here today. But broadly speaking, what is the VCEA and what does it aim to uh, bolster for the renewables industry? Absolutely. So the Virginia Clean Economy Act sets Virginia on a path to become a clean energy leader in the United States with strict requirements um, for Virginia's electric utilities and competitive suppliers to generate electricity from 100% clean energy by 2050. Specifically, it includes provisions around a renewable portfolio standard, removal of barriers for distributed generation, uh, energy efficiency resource standard, as well as carbon controls to accelerate the shift from Virginia, which is more than 70% fossil fuel based to a more renewable and clean energy based economy. Fantastic. And I understand that this had uh, broad bipartisan support. How did you pull that off? Broad, maybe a little bit of an overcharacterization. I would say that it ultimately had bipartisan support, you know, really it's all about timing in place and policy is, is really about reading the tea leaves and, and understanding the environment and the universe that we all exist in. And certainly on a state level about the changing dynamics of state level politics. And really the VCEA was able to come to pass because of a dramatic shift in the makeup of the Virginia General Assembly, a shift in both the, the House of Delegates as well as the Senate democratic control for the first time in almost 30 years. So that is really at the at the base and the fundamental, the shift. But I would say that that, that shift was the articulation and the embodiment of voters and constituents being frustrated with the status quo in Virginia and a complete disregard for the changing universe in the energy economy because it was one of certainly top three issues in the election cycle leading up to November 2019. Fantastic. So it sounds like the Virginia Clean Economy Act is, is itself an embodiment of what the, the electorate in the state wanted or wanted to achieve by essentially flipping the politics in Virginia to, toward a democratic balance. Uh, it was one that was closely watched in the latest uh, elections. I'm eager to hear more about not only um, how this came together, but what it means broadly for those of us who are following policy around the nation here in the United States. I understand that you built the Virginia Clean Economy Act uh, around four main pillars. Would you unpack those pillars for me? And also, my understanding is that the Virginia Clean Economy Act is built around four pillars, you and a team of advocates and legislators in the state of Virginia have you know, helped bring this to fruition. So if you would give us an idea, who is the team that helped bring this to fruition and what are these four pillars? Regarding the who, this was an unprecedented 
coalition of, of stakeholders and the coalition spanned and spread basically every clean energy trade association, environmental organization, as well as companies to get this across the finish line. So everybody from MDVCA, which is the Maryland, Delaware, Virginia uh, regional SIA affiliate, SIA, the National Trade Association for Solar, Merrick, which is the Mid-Atlantic Regional Energy Association for Utility-Scale Energy, Advanced Energy Economy. We had the Sierra Club. We had CCAM, which is the Chesapeake Climate Action Group, as well as specifically as it relates to distributed generation. We had a coalition of 16 different companies and different advocacy organizations, including Vote Solar, Solar United Neighbors, and 12 different companies that act and operate in and around Virginia. And of course, the, the Community Solar Association was heavily involved. So it was a robust group. Um, I also didn't mention the Virginia Conservation Network, which is a network of more than 50 different um, environmental organizations that worked as a grassroots deployment uh, group throughout this process. So it, more than 26 different trade associations and or advocacy organizations worked together to bring this to fruition, as well as a team of lobbyists that were both engaged by the coalitions as well as individual companies. And of course, I can't forget to mention our fabulous and wonderful uh, patrons of the legislation, Senator Jennifer McClellan out of Richmond and Delegate Rip Sullivan out of Fairfax. But really this was the baby of so many people who worked tirelessly and collaboratively to bring this across. How long did it take? Uh, I mean, that's a really uh, astounding amount of support. It sounds like there's a lot of solar influencers there. How long did this take to come together? And is this, I know you're going to talk about it in the pillars, but is this predominantly focused on solar? I would say there is a a very heavy weighted emphasis on solar. Um, as far as how long this has taken to come to fruition, I have been in the Virginia market um, for almost three years now. And really from my entry into the marketplace when I was brought on by Segura Solar, uh, which has been, been around since 2011, but only joined them three years ago, the hope and goal was to create a market in Virginia. So my point of coming to Virginia and joining the team was basically to create a robust market. This has been in the making for quite a while. In 2018, legislation passed called the Grid Transformation Security Act, which was very much a, a utility-sponsored piece of legislation to justify massive investments in renewable energy, but without any oversight really. And so this took the Grid Transformation and Security Act and put the control back into the people's hands and put the control back into the state corporation's hands and really did it in a thoughtful, conscientious way rather than just cutting checks to the utility companies. So on the four pillars of what it actually does, so whereas the Grid Transformation and Security Act of, of 2018 just had targets for, for solar and wind energy deployment, the, the Virginia Clean Economy Act goes exponentially further. So it actually is based in four pillars, which include a renewable portfolio standard, an energy efficiency resource standard, removal of barriers for distributed generation, and carbon controls. And everything was 
thought out to the utmost detail. And I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, we've had a lot of criticism about how not specific this legislation is, which is, is to me a little bit laughable because we basically are taking an electrical sector in Virginia that is, you know, in the case of Dominion, which represents two thirds of the state, basically from less than 1% renewable energy to a hundred percent clean energy by 2045. So we're talking a dramatic and substantive and substantial shift in, in how the the utility as well as the electrical sector operates in Virginia and things that were not specifically defined. Really, the hope and gold was to put the power back in the hands of the State Corporation Commission, which is the regulator of the utilities. And so we're looking forward to a, a implementation docket to on actually how we're going to achieve all of these goals. Call it certainly sets ambitious targets. And I want to get into some of the teeth that help that gives us some certainty that these targets are going to be achieved, you know, less than 1% renewable energy up until now uh, with an, a target of 100% clean energy. I think it would be beneficial for us to identify what a lot of folks bat around this, the name clean energy. Uh, so I think it'd be good to unpack what does clean mean? Because you're very clear to distinguish between renewable energy and clean energy, but also once we understand what is meant by clean energy, you know, what all is attempting to do, how is this groundbreaking? Those are great questions. So renewable energy, as we, we define it, it's very specifically defined in this legislation and it transitions the definition for Virginia from a definition that actually included carbon emitting facilities, including coal plants, to being an actual renewable energy definition, which includes solar energy, wind energy, and hydro. Clean energy is non-carbon emitting energy. And so that expands the universe to both nuclear energy as well as energy efficiency. While, while energy efficiency cannot be defined as renewable energy because it actually doesn't generate energy, it's the, the consumption reduction. Um, so it is clean energy because it's non-carbon emitting, but it can be treated as a resource and dispatchable similarly to other types of energy. Help me understand how this is all groundbreaking compared to other, maybe even other states, but certainly what's happened region, regionally. Nationally, I'll, I'll start there. You know, many of the most progressive states in the entire country, I mean, we're talking California, we're talking Massachusetts, we're talking New York, we're talking states with in incredibly aggressive targets, similarly to either 100% clean energy or 100% renewable energy. The difference is, is that those have been iterative over time. California has been dispatching and had solar targets for decades. Um, Massachusetts as well. New York, you know, more than a decade. Virginia has never had anything like this. And so to have a, a place in space where it's less than 1% renewable energy, not a single megawatt of utility scale solar currently deployed in Virginia, it's a just gigantic shift. I can't, I can't articulate that enough. And as far as regionally, I mean, Virginia is still considered and contemplated as, as part of the South. Um, you know, we are a, um, a universe of investor owned utilities. And as somebody who has not exclusively operated in the, the Southeast, but primarily and predominantly operated in the Southeast, the investor owned utilities determine energy policy in every southeastern state and this is really the first time where it's not just about removing barriers but about creating a pathway 
to and for renewable energy transition. So, I mean, we can talk about the massive amounts of of utility scale solar deployed in, in North Carolina, but that was all for the benefit of Duke. I mean, that was driven by Duke energy policy that was then articulated and, and affected by the legislature. This was a situation where a broad coalition of advocates, companies, et cetera, wrote legislation, were in control of that legislation, partnered with the legislature to pass it. Whereas every other state, it is always the utility going to the legislature or the Public Service Commission with what they want and them effectuating exactly what they want. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts. So why lose that sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Did you miss out on the live sessions of the Suncast Clean Energy Summit? We had so much fun with some of the most inspiring and impactful leaders in the clean economy throughout the Americas, learning about where the industry's going and giving you practical advice on how you too can participate and grow with us. Well, you're in luck because my team recorded the whole thing and you can check it out over at suncastsummit.com. It's posted there for a limited time for free. You can also see all of the replays inside of our private Facebook group, the Clean Energy Guild, where all the videos are posted and lots of solar warriors just like you are connecting. Both are linked over at suncastsummit.com. See you on the inside. You mentioned the four pillars, RPS, energy efficiency resource standards, distributed generation, carbon controls. Can you unpack those a bit? Help me understand the targets that are being set, uh, how the interplay works around those four pillars and what it means for those of us who, by and large, are working in renewable energy sector, maybe a little bit of energy efficiency. But I feel like we probably don't have a good fix or understanding on the carbon control side, um, what the RPS, uh, how the RPS is in any way different from other renewable portfolio standards that have been enacted, et cetera. Well, I think the biggest thing about the renewable portfolio standard, which is where I will start because it's the the most aggressive portion of the entire legislation and really the thing that is is the teeth of the legislation. So there are different requirements for the different utilities and the, the primary investor-owned utilities of the three in Virginia. The, the largest one is Dominion. The, the second largest is APCO, which is Appalachian Power Company, which is a subsidiary of AEP. And then there's Old Dominion Power, which is is only serves 30,000 people in, in deep southwestern Virginia. But the this legislation really deals with and primarily with Dominion one, number one, and APCO number two. So the renewable portfolio standard requires the transition from less than 1% renewable energy right now to be 41% renewable energy by 2030 for Dominion. And then 
APCO is different because they do not have, they have a little bit more, a different energy uh, portfolio. And so they actually go from, from zero to 30% by 2030. The full renewable energy targets are, are and clean energy targets are for 2045 for Dominion and 2050 for APCO respectively. But what that equates to in numbers for Dominion, that means that over the next couple of decades, they're going to deploy 16.1 gigawatts of solar and onshore wind and an additional 5,200 megawatts of offshore wind resources. And that only takes us to roughly 2035. So we haven't laid out a path all the way to, to 2045 and 2050, we've only taken us to 2035, understanding that the market and the universe and the electric sector, or electricity sector is going to change just dramatically. Do you have a sense of how much of that 16 gigs is stands to be solar versus onshore wind? Well, so we already have a, a pipeline in Virginia, a pretty substantial pipeline of solar. And there are, have been historical aversions to utility scale wind in Virginia. The first contract ever for utility scale wind is under negotiation right now onshore, and it's only for 75 megawatts. Even best case scenario, I would guesstimate that it's probably going to be a 75-25 split. And that's in the ideal world for the wind energy universe. As most people know who've been in wind energy industry, I mean, I operated in wind energy for five years and did utility scale development in Texas. When you are east of the Mississippi, land costs are exponentially more expensive. There is a lot more nimbyism, so not in my backyard. And solar suffers from it, but wind even more so just because it's so much more visible. I would not anticipate a gigantic deployment of utility scale wind onshore, um, which is why I differentiated that 16.1 megawatts of solar and then an additional 5,200 megawatts of offshore wind. Uh, Virginia has a really substantial offshore wind resource, and and most of the state is really focused on building that out. That's remarkable. I mean, just doing quick numbers here on the back of the envelope, that sounds about to be about 1.25 gigawatts per year of solar over the coming decade. That's a massive growth. It's huge. And actually, Dominion has already issued their their first procurement or request for proposals for a thousand megawatts of utility scale wind. And that was issued about a month after the Virginia Clean Economy Act passed and, and really uh, just, I think, a week or two after it was signed into law. So we're already they're already beginning to, to fulfill and work on fulfilling their their targets. Yeah, well, I mean, those of us who've been watching Dominion over the years recognize that Dominion has been on a buying spree and development spree for uh, for solar. And so it's not surprising that they're ready and that they have these tenders sitting in the waiting. I just want to you know, put a pin in the fact that for those who are, are unaware <laughs> that Virginia is going to build you know, 12 plus gigawatts of solar, it's a remarkable flag in the sand, as it were, not, not just for the South, but for the the U.S. in general. I mean, I, I don't know many other states that are making a statement that they're going to add uh, more than a gigawatt a year to the overall solar trajectory. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's uh, that's handily equivalent to uh, most of the other states in the union. <laughs> Transformational market market makers. I mean, you know the 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 words that 
<laughs> that we have used really over the past several months, you know, as we were socializing the, the legislation and building consensus around it and support for it. You know, we use these large terms and everyone's eyes are just like, wow, this is huge. But the, you know, to your point, I don't think certainly not the average person, certainly not the average citizen in Virginia and, and or the average voter, or even market participant really understands the magnitude and the financial and economic opportunity that is associated with the Virginia market right now. There are, as we pointed out, four pillars, RPS being the largest and most important. What do you see as an additional driver under these under these pillars? I mean, we talked about energy efficiency. Uh, how can we impact the EE standard and the DG standard? So the energy efficiency resource standard is one of the other large pillars. You know, as we were developing this legislation, it was really important for, for all participants participants to make sure that as we were doing a massive um, transition and build out of the renewable energy sector that we were doing it in a responsible and measured way. And the way in which we going to achieve that is through an energy efficiency resource standard. So to date, Dominion actually ha- is ranked dead last in the entire country for energy efficiency programming um, of all investor-owned utilities. Virginia as a state is more middling, meaning they have done a lot of energy efficiency programming on a state level as far as it relates to building codes. But, but as a utility, Dominion has not made really any meaningful investments in the energy efficiency world. And so the energy efficiency resource standard sets Dominion's goal to be 5% by 2025. And that means that it's a percentage of the savings of the electricity or natural gas sales as compared to a business as usual case. So they actually have to deploy 5% of their entire business as usual case and and reduce their overall sales by 5% and invest those funds into energy efficiency programming, both on the residential side as well as the commercial side. Well, I can certainly learn something from Duke. Obviously, Duke has... uh is a few a few years ahead of them. What does that mean for those who are playing in the energy efficiency market? Maybe they're they're working mostly more at the nodal level or working with large retailers like Home Depot and others to introduce energy efficient appliances and, and products. What does this mean for the overall opportunity from an energy efficiency perspective in the state? I think it's just going to increase dramatically. Last year, um, Dominion filed a portfolio of 13 different programs for energy efficiency, even before the Virginia Clean Economy Act. Um, Our state corporation commission has historically been really antagonistic towards energy efficiency and did not pass or implement energy efficiency programming. This is basically creating the opportunity for for everything from actual materials, but also to contractors um, and consultants to come in to begin to do building management on the commercial side of things and on the the residential and the home basis. I mean, it's everything from products to to actually energy efficiency retrofit. There's going to be more programming. There's going to be more financial support for that programming. Those 13 programs that were applied for last year were all approved at their full budget for a period of, I think, three years, which was the entire term of each of the programs, respective programs, which is the first time in the history of the State Corporation Commission or Dominion that that has happened. Um, We anticipate that those programs are going to multiply, which means there are going to be more dollars on the table for contractors to come in to service customers all the way again from the household level to, to, you know, one megawatt in the commercial universe. 
a really incredible opportunity and, and a way that ultimately, you know, I talked about this was our safety valve slash mechanism to make sure that the, the rate impacts um, and bill impacts for households was not too egregious as we do a, a large renewable energy build out. Um, and our, we, there were three different analyses done, one by the governor's office, um, one by advanced energy economy, and another one by a third party. And we found that the average household in Virginia will save more than $13 as a result of the energy efficiency reach. So we're actually balancing out the deployment of the renewable energy with the energy efficiency. In the RPS, we talked a lot about the utility scale side of the business. Obviously, energy efficiency speaks to the megawatts that are being required by the utilities uh, over the coming uh, years. Where does that leave residential and uh, commercial solar and other uh, clean energy activities? Yeah, so so the RPS actually captures an 1100 megawatt target for distributed generation or small scale solar up to three megawatts. So there's actually an RPS carve out specifically for distributed generation as part of the RPS. Additionally, the third pillar of of the legislation includes additional support for the distributed generation sector and segment, those policy and barrier removals that are going to occur as a result of the Virginia Clean Economy Act, because it doesn't go into effect until July 1st, include an expansion of net metering policy. So currently in Virginia, we have a one percent net metering cap that is being increased to six percent. We currently have very limited pilot programs as it relates to PPAs, so power purchase agreements on a distributed level, which means those systems are net metering. Those pilot purchase agreement pilots have been expanded dramatically. So Dominion's pilot purchase agreement is going from 50 megawatts to 1,000 megawatts. The pilot program for APCO is increasing to 40 megawatts, and then it's establishing a pilot purchase agreement program, again, for that small utility in southwestern Virginia, um, which is 10 megawatts. And the reason that I mentioned ODP and Old Dominion Power in southwestern Virginia is that that has been historically coal country. It has been dramatically impacted historically by the transition to a clean energy. And so we were very deliberate in making sure that our disadvantaged and marginalized communities in Virginia and our, our communities that are really suffering from the changes in the economy are included in these opportunities. How does this specifically, I mean, Virginia and West Virginia are coal country and historically entrenched in that in that fact uh how does this specifically affect fossil fuel markets and generation in the state moving forward and how does that tie to the carbon controls we again like this was a very because it was such a broad coalition of people that worked for for this legislation's passage it was imperative uh, for us to make sure that every corner of Virginia and every nook and cranny of it were able to participate in the clean energy economy. We we saw this as the Clean Economy Act, not as the renewable energy legislation. Um, so it was really about an economic transition for the energy sector. You know, we have had massive declines in, in coal production in Virginia. I know when I came to Virginia, we had roughly about 4,000 coal miners were now at less than 3,000 and it's continuing to steady, steadily decline. So as part of the legislation, you know, we actually have specific requirements that certain projects have to occur in coal country. There are supports written into the legislation about supporting workforce training in coal mining 
portions of the state as well as marginalized communities and, and frontline communities. So communities of color are areas that are being affected by climate change um, and as well as southwestern Virginia. The carbon controls that are captured in the legislation are really meant, again, to transition the economy, traditionally fossil fuel economy, to a renewable energy and clean economy, but we're doing it in a measured way. So one of the provisions in the legislation actually requires a study to occur in the next two years to make sure that our portions of the state that are dependent on the coal industry as well as as natural gas are not left behind. And so there's a moratorium on, on new construction of fossil fuels in those areas for the next two years. But really, it's mostly about giving time for the development cycle to come to fruition as it relates to renewable energy. So a lot of these areas that have traditionally been coal mining and or natural gas facility places and spaces are completely and fully equipped to, to go into the renewable energy sector. So we currently in Virginia, there is a solar installation and that could be a residential solar installation, a commercial installation or a utility scale installation in every legislative district of the General Assembly, our, our state legislative body. So this touches every corner of the state and, and we really are trying to be deliberate. I would say that the carbon controls that are captured in the legislation have already realized meaning, meaningful uh, impacts. So we're already seeing the announcement of the retirement of existing fossil fuel generation in Virginia. We already have been told that certain biomass facilities are going to be retired by 2028 and that several other carbon emitting facilities are scheduled for uh, retirement. In the next we're already seeing the the impacts of the legislation um, and that fourth pillar. But again, you know, we want to be very sensitive to Virginians. And frankly, the state has been one of the largest producers of coal uh, in the country since the Industrial Revolution. Um, and we have massive natural gas facilities and, and build out across the state. And while I work for a renewable energy company, that doesn't mean that we can't be sensitive and or empathetic to, to the communities that have really benefited financially, historically, um, from traditional energy. And we need to make sure that we capture in, in the future. Honorable vision, indeed, and one that many of us in the, in the business are eager to see take place, not just in Virginia, but across the United States, the workforce development required to retrain folks who have been, fo been focused on traditional energy uh, not just coal, we're seeing in uh, now with uh, everything happening right now in the pandemic and the global collapse of oil prices, you know, there are traditional oil companies going under uh, in record numbers. So uh, mm -hmm. I think that we're going to have an interesting sort of carve out in our, in our industry just to help transition folks into the clean energy economy. I think that's an admirable uh, thing for us to be focused on. And it's something that is captured uh, in this legislation. So something that other states can model for local policy. Well, what's left to do, Carla? And as we wrap up here, uh, I'd love to hear what's next. So, I mean, you know, like all pieces of legislation, nothing's perfect. Um, at the end of the legislative session, there were a couple of tweaks that need to occur as it relates to the legislation, but because we entered into what is our new normal, um, which has been the COVID pandemic for the past several months, there was not really bandwidth or appetite to deal with the necessary amendments really minor tweaks 
and, and turns of the screws. And so we would anticipate that some of those would be tweaked and turned in the coming months and or in the next legislative session. There has been contemplation and or discussion of a special session over the summer, whether they address these issues, the, the small issues that, are, that we have in the Virginia Clean Economy Act or not, I can't really say, but we would certainly anticipate them to be dealt with next legislative session at the latest. I would say additionally, Virginia or Dominion came out with their integrated resource plan a few weeks ago. Um, much of what their required goals are and commitments as it relates to the Virginia Clean Economy Act were captured in the integrated resource plan. Um, as it relates to utility scale solar, they were less clear on how they're going to meet their targets on distributed generation and fell grossly short on their energy efficiency targets. So over the next, over the course of the next probably 12 months, we're going to we're going to all participate in regulatory filings to make sure to, to hold Dominion to task to actually meet their their required goals. Um, we have seen a lot of double speak out of the utility to date, which is that they are excited about transition to a clean economy. Um, and then out of the the other side of their, their mouths, they're talking about how they're going to build out a bunch of natural gas, which is inconsistent with the legislation as written. So, you know, we want to, to make sure that they, what the legislature wanted, as well as what the constituents demanded and, and the electorate demanded. But we think that that's going to probably be a two-part series. It's going to be one, pushing back on the integrated resource plan, which last, the last cycle of the integrated resource plan was the first time in the history of integrated resource planning in Virginia that the State Corporation Commission rejected Dominion's integrated resource planning. We're expecting there to be a substantial amount of pushback on this one as well. Secondly, that there would be a, uh, we anticipate there would be an implementation docket opened about how Dominion will actually realize and fulfill their mandatory targets and requirements. And so we look forward to, to participating in that. And by we, I mean the, the proverbial we of, of not just Segura, but the local trade associations, the energy associations, et cetera, and, and environmental organizations that operate and function in Virginia. It is an, indeed an exciting time and lots of things for us to be on the lookout for as the state of Virginia continues to push forward, uh, not just for coal country, but for all of our country on being now a vanguard of clean energy and indeed solar and wind policy. We're joined today by Carla Loeb, the Chief Policy and Development Officer for Segura Solar. Carla, thank you for helping us separate the wheat from the chaff. Thanks for this great overview of a landmark and key legislation for everyone to be following here in the United States. Thanks so much for having me, Nico. I really enjoyed it. What an amazing time to be in the clean economy, my friends. Are you in Virginia yet? Where would you like to see policy like this take hold around the U.S. or maybe in other markets? Hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter if you have any ideas for episodes like this one or guests like Carla. Oh, yeah. And again, happy birthday, Carla. Do pop over to LinkedIn, everyone, and share some love with this lovely power player for creating climate action and wealth for all of us. That's a wrap on this conversation, Warrior, but I do hope that we'll see you back here on Thursday for this week's long-form interview. I also encourage you to check out other episodes of Suncast and let me know what you think of these shorter-form discussions. Do you want more like this? 
We've got hundreds of episodes, resources, and highlights from these discussions, along with the social media links for each episode guest, book recommendations, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe exclusive emails or even joining our exclusive inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I do so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. And a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as learn more about becoming a sponsor if that's something that you're interested in. You can follow the links there as well to any of the offers that we've discussed about any of our sponsors here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.